What's going on, everyone? My name is Brian Williams, and I am the pastor of Restoration Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Thanks so much for allowing us into your digital life and tuning in to this message. If you'd like to get involved with anything we have going on, you can do so at restorationtc.com. While you're there, you can find out about events, get to know a little bit more about what we believe, and you can also give a donation. Now, we're set up a little different than most in that we have a community account where 100% of your donation goes directly back into the community, both locally and globally. We've partnered with organizations like Freedom Builders here in Traverse City, World Orphans, and Charity Water. We also have an overhead account that helps fund the mission and vision of the church. Our vision is people following Jesus, and our mission is transparency, community, and change. Thanks again for checking out the message. Now let's get to it. All right, my name is Brian, and uh, welcome to Restoration Church. There we go. Now we're live. We had a little bit late of a soundtrack, and so we're soundtracking now. That's cool with all of you guys. Um, Yeah, uh, welcome to Restoration Church. We are uh, pretty excited to be here. I never get tired of being in the brewery. Um, Sounds weird to say that, right? A little bit like... You can't get enough of it, but I specifically really enjoy it here on a Sunday morning. Um, Coming in here, like, earlier in the morning, like, we get here about 8.30, so it's not that early, but we get here about 8.30 to set up, and the way the sun is just coming through, especially this time of year, like, last week we didn't have any sunlight, and it was kind of dreary and kind of nobody liked it, Um, and, and and then this weekend has just been a pretty beautiful weekend here in northern Michigan for the most part. We've enjoyed it at least a little bit, I would say. Um, we were at a, a wedding uh, yesterday, an outdoor wedding, and it got a little chilly, um, and this is why I'm dressed down now, is because I got dressed up, I had to wear a suit, I had to wear a tie, I was officiating the wedding, and so I had to be really dressed up, and I don't like dressed up. I don't know. There's something about being dressed up. I just don't like it. And so I decided today was a hoodie, jeans, and a backwards baseball cap. So if you don't like that, if that's offensive to you, we're meeting in a brewery. I mean, what do you expect, okay? If you're watching online, you're like, he's not showing respect to the Lord. Um, I don't know that it's an outer appearance uh, that we really need to be worried about as much as what's in the heart. And so... Um, Welcome, if you're watching online. I know there are at least two people watching online because some of our friends, uh, Matt and Ram, they're they're vacationing down in uh, wherever they're at. I don't know, the Keys. They went fishing, they're bros, and they went fishing, and so they're watching online, so I just want to say, hey guys, Uh, they they messaged me uh, right before I came up here that they were watching online. So um, I hope you get something out of this. Put the fishing poles down and uh, let's get to work. Uh, This was a weird chapter. We're in the series of That Escalated Quickly. It's the first part of Genesis. Genesis 1 through 11 uh, is is where we're at, and we're in Genesis 10 today, Um, and so we're going to be spending pretty much the entire time right there, and this was, when I first read this chapter, I was like, I don't know what this is all about. Oh, by the way, this sweatshirt uh, is for sale. I forgot to say that, that this sweatshirt is for sale. You can buy it. Uh, we have some merch right over there. I've got something special planned for all of the merch. 
um, for like what we're going to be using that money for. So uh, it's donation only because we're a nonprofit, so it has to be donation only. But I've got something pretty special planned um, for all of w whatever proceeds we get from that. It's going to help uh, a ministry here in town that I'm excited about. Uh, this one is a Jesus and Beer shirt, so if you like that, we have some Prove It shirts as well um, that you can grab as well, and I've got all of that over there. Okay, now on to Genesis. Sorry, my brain is a scatterbrain, and uh, you'll just have to deal with that from time to time. Genesis 10. Here we are. I was reading this, and I was like, I don't know how we're going to be able to do this. I don't know how we're going to make a sermon out of this until I started researching it. Genesis 10 is probably something that you've skipped over as, uh, as an avid Bible reader. Uh, it, it lists a whole bunch of names. Anytime I see a whole bunch of names in, in the Bible, I usually just turn the page. Number one, I don't know who most of those people are. Number two, there's no way I'm pronouncing them correctly, any of the names, and, uh, and so I don't want to look like an idiot, and so I just go on to the next chapter and don't think anything of it so that I can feel smarter and, and much better about my life and my choices in life. Um, this is uh, Genesis 10, though, and it's actually an incredibly important chapter in the Bible, as all chapters in the Bible are incredibly important, but Genesis 10 is specifically important, and we're going to find out why soon. Uh, in, in Timothy, it tells us that all Scripture is, is breathed by God and, and useful for teaching and for admonishing and growing, and so we take that to heart here at Restoration Church. We believe that all Scripture is uh, breathed by God, and we get to use all Scripture for teaching and for admonishing, and so that is what we're going to be doing with Genesis 10. Uh, have any of you guys ever been to the Statue of Liberty in New York City? Uh, there's no Statue of Liberty anywhere else, so I don't know why I had it. In New York City, right? The one, not the one in Vegas, actually, so yeah, there is one in Vegas. Uh, not the one in Vegas, but the one in New York, okay? Uh, I, I've been there one time, uh, and, and have you guys ever been uh, to Ellis Island? Yeah, same sort of area. Is that the same island? Okay, yeah. Um, great. So on this island, there is a, a, a whole thing of, of names, of immigration, people who have gone through uh, Ellis Island to get to the United States. I've been there, and I've looked through some of those names before. I didn't recognize any of them. Uh, but you can go there, and you can find out if your family came through Ellis Island to get to the United States. It's actually a pretty cool thing if any of you are into, like, ancestry stuff. Um, have you guys ever done the Ancestry.com, like, followed your roots all the way back? Anybody? Some of you are nodding, but I, I don't know if, that, if you just agree with me or not. But if you've done it, you can follow it all the way back and see, like, kind of the, the areas that you came from, right? It's kind of cool. It only goes back so far, though. It only goes back so far. We have a, a family book um, in, in, in our family that on my dad's side, uh, somebody put together a whole book, somebody in our family put together a whole book all the way back. I don't know how far back it goes. It goes back really far. Um, and it's, it's actually kind of interesting to read. Well, Genesis 10 is basically those records of where we came from. Genesis 10 is a little bit different than genealogies. Genealogies just go, uh, this person begot this person, begot this person. There's a whole lot of begotting going on, and they populate the earth. Uh, this is a little bit different. They talk about who the sons are, some of the sons are, and then where they wound up. And then it kind of goes on from son to son. So what we're going to find out in Genesis 10, they call this the table of nations. 
if you're familiar with that at all. It's called the Table of Nations. This is what brought the nations as we see them today. Genesis 10 was a transition from what we would consider prehistoric to historic. Genesis 10. That's where we get to start tracking where everything is at. So it's actually kind of cool. And we're going to read some names today, and just don't laugh, okay? That's all I ask. Don't, you can laugh at my jokes. Don't laugh at my pronunciation of names. That's, the only, that's my only request today, okay? So we're going to be in Genesis 10, starting in verse 1. Don't worry, we're not going to read every single verse this week. That would be a lot. Genesis 10, 1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. All right, so we've got the three sons of Noah, Japheth, Shem, and Ham. Now, we talked about a a little bit last week with Ham, right, and and the curse that was put on his son, Canaan, and, and, and what happened to Noah, and how these other two sons were blessed. Specifically, Japheth was blessed uh, to, to, to grow. His numbers were, were, to, were to just explode with Japheth. He was going to be blessed in that way. Canaan was cursed. And so we have kind of the introduction of these three sons. And God instructed them to go out and populate the earth after the flood. God said, go populate the earth. And so that's exactly what they did. Boy, did they ever. Genesis 10, let's go to verse 2. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, anybody pregnant, there's a good name for you, okay? Magog. (laughs) Maybe. It'd be cool. There's a lot of names in here that you can take. Uh, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. There we, there we are. Those, are. those are the sons of Japheth. So Japheth, he had other sons than this, but these were the ones that are listed here. Now the sons of Japheth, what Japheth's name means is to grow. The name Japheth means to grow. And Japheth, he had a territory. He went north and east. So after the flood, these people started moving out. They weren't going to stay at the mountaintop. They weren't going to stay in the valley. They were ready to go. So they started to distribute over all the earth. And so Japheth and his sons started to go north, and they started to go east. And, and, and his sons were the Indo-Europeans people. Indo-European people. And they stretched from India to the shores of Western Europe. So he had a pretty large territory. Japheth and his sons did. So this is interesting, Japheth, because this is where we come from. This is where we go. This is our line. If we are European, which most of us are, we came from that. We could go look on Ellis Island if we wanted to take a trip and maybe go see some of those names. We are this. Now, Indo-European, you wouldn't think that those actually go together, but linguists have discovered that they have very close similarities. Their languages have very similar languages in that it would come from a, a, uh, a single source. So that's just an interesting thing. So with the sons of Japheth, you've got Gomer, who came the Germanic people, which then we would have Germans. Are there anybody of German descent? In, okay, we've got some German descent in here. You would have come from Gomer. Western Europe, like the French, Spanish, and Celtics. Those are the ones that kind of came 
from Gomer. His and his sons traveled that way, and they settled there, eventually got there. You can trace all this back. Magog, Tubal, and Meshech, they were far north, and they became Russian people. Russian people. And then we've got Madai. He, uh, he, he, he brought forth the ancient Medes and, uh, and what is now Iran, Iran, Iraq, and India. So from, uh, from, from Madai, that's who brought that about. And then the last one is uh, Javan or Javan. I don't know how you would say that specifically. He brought the ancient Greeks. So he settled in Rome. And those were the sons of Japheth, some of them. So that's kind of cool. Like that's kind of where we can follow back our lineage all the way back to that. So now we're starting to see maybe why Genesis 10 starts to have some importance. We're going to tie it all together. This is going to be a lot of information in the first part, and then we're going to dig right in to some application. Like how does this even apply to us? I don't get it. Okay, this is just a history lesson, and we're starting to get bored. And is the beer flowing yet, right? Because this would make it more digestible. 10.6. Go to verse 6 with me if you would. Now we go to the sons of Ham. Oh, real quick, before we go there. Sorry, I bet you already put the verse up. Ooh, you did. That's okay. Uh, what uh, Japheth is, this is a very short section, probably because the writer, Moses, who, who was the writer of this, didn't know much about him. He didn't know much about the sons of Japheth, and so he didn't write a lot. He only wrote what he knew, which gives us some, some uh, comfort when, when reading Scripture that this is a true and honest account because he could have just made some stuff up and been like, well, I think he's there and he's there and we'll just fudge this a little bit. But Moses was true to what he knew and he only wrote what he knew. All right, now verse 6. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Okay, so we've got them. Ham went west and he went, uh, went um, uh, east. He went west and east. He went two different directions. Ham, far east, actually, I think. We have uh, Ham's son Cush. His descendants went two directions. He went for Babylon. They settled Babylon, which we're going to find out a lot about Ham's son and the nation of Babylon next week and the closing of that, that escalated quickly. Then we're going to start a new series. So Ham's son Cush, his, his sons went two different directions. He went uh, to Babylon, and then he settled Ethiopia. Ham's son, Cush, settled Ethiopia. Now, if you don't know this, uh, the, the name Cush actually means black. Did you know that? No, I didn't either until this week, so I wanted to make sure I said that because of the names. I can't get them right, but I can tell you stuff about them. Uh, then we have, um, under Cush, there's a guy named Nimrod. Now, Nimrod, the mighty hunter. There's a weird section of Scripture. I want to just uh, bring this attention to you, if you could. Verse 8, it's not going to be on the screen, I don't think, but it says, Cush fathered Nimrod. <laughs> Great name for a kid. Do it. Do it. I dare you. Um, don't do it. Okay. Uh, he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, 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 Erek, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From, from that land he went to Assyria and built Nineveh. 
You guys are probably a little bit familiar with Nineveh. If you've heard anything about Jonah and the whale, you know he was supposed to go to Nineveh and he decided not to. He wanted to instead go to Tarsus. You probably saw the VeggieTales movie about it if you grew up like I did or like, I don't know, that's how I grew up. So I watched the VeggieTales movie and that's where I got my uh, theology from Jonah. So he was, he was um, yeah, he was like an asparagus, I guess. Uh, it's in the Bible. You guys should read it sometime. Jonah the asparagus. I'm surprised you didn't know that. Um, it's not. I don't know if I have to say that. That's not true, but it's not true. Um, so Nimrod, the, fi- the, the mighty hunter, this was not a term that was put on Nimrod as a great term. This was not a good thing that he was a mighty hunter, as what we would think of like a mighty hunter in northern Michigan, where you can uh, kill a deer from 800 yards away, I don't know, and, and, and skin it with your teeth. Like that's, that's a mighty hunter that we would think of here in northern Michigan, right? But uh, you can tell I don't know anything about hunting. Um, but this is not that. He was, Nimrod, the mighty hunter, was actually a pretty bad guy. He was all about himself. And when they put in this term of mighty hunter, he was almost like a dictator would hunting people and hunting territories and wanting to, to gather for himself a great land, which we're going to find out again next week. If you come back for chapter 11, we're going to find the Tower of Babel, that whole story. That was all Nimrod. He wanted to create things for himself. He wanted to build his own kingdoms and become great. That's, that's our pal Nimrod right here. I hope he's not your pal. Cool? That's Nimrod. Uh, Nimrod was an offense before God that mighty hunter before the Lord, that was an offense. That was him saying, okay. And I wonder if it was like this, because Ham uh, and, and his son Canaan were, um, were cursed, right, by God. And I wonder, I just wonder, and they said that uh, Canaan would be a slave to his brothers uh, Shem and Japheth. And I just wonder if Nimrod's mentality during all of this was like, we are going to be a slave to no one, and so we are going to take what's ours. We are going to become a mighty hunter of men so that we can spit in the face of God and say, look at what we've done. It might give some context for why he wanted to build the Tower of Babel as well. He had that complex of like, there's no way we are going to bow to any man or do any of that kind of stuff. We are going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and we are going to disregard what God said for our own benefit. Maybe. It's not in the Bible, but you can think about it. So that's Brian talk. Don't have to necessarily write that down, but it makes sense. Um, Also with Babel, men began to trust their abilities. We'll find that again next week. So come on back. So uh, this other guy named, um, I gotta find him, Egypt. Guess what he started? (laughs) Any guesses? Yeah, yeah, he started Egypt. Uh, They also went, him and his sons went to Egypt, went to Libya and uh, North Africa, west of Egypt. So that's where they did. And then Canaan settled in what is now Israel in the surrounding region. We know a lot about Canaan and the Canaanites, right? Because uh, Israel eventually overtakes the land of Canaan, where there are giants in the land, right? And then spies go. We're going to read about this later, so we might as well know it now. Spies go. Ten were bad, two were good. If we do a Joshua series, maybe we will. But if you want to read it for yourself, feel free. All right, Genesis 10, 22. We're skipping down a little bit. <clears throat> the sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arpaxad, Lud, and Aram. You can also say Arpaxad as Arfaxad. So I'm going to do that because it's easier. 
and Aram. Okay, so these are the sons of Shem. His name means renowned. Shem's son, or Shem's name means renowned. And here's the thing about Shem. He stayed central. He stayed right around kind of where Noah was. From him come the tribes of Asher. And Asher went to an area near the Tigris and later became the nation of Assyria, considered the first large power in human history. From Shem. From Shem, uh, we have Aram, who fathered what we now know as Syria and the Syrians. Uh, Elam was an ancestor to the Persians. Shem's grandson, Uz. There was a land of Uz. Do you know who lived in the land of Uz? A guy named Job. Job lived in the land of Uz. In fact, uh, it's even uh, possible that his name is listed in this book. If you look down to uh, verse 28, there's a whole bunch of names that I'm not going to read, but there's one that says Jobab, Jobab, Jobab. You guys can try to say it if you want to. That, in theory, is Job. Kind of cool. So we've got uh, Job came from the land of Uz, and, um, and we got our Faxad. Our Faxad was the ancestor of Abram and the Hebrews. And we know where that line goes. Jesus. That goes to Jesus. That line goes to Jesus. So from him comes the line of Jesus. From him come the line of Israel, and from him comes the line of Jesus. So that is from Shem. So we want to keep all of those, just keep all of that information. Did you write any of that down? Keep all of that in the back of your minds for a little bit later on. We'll get to it. So why do we go through the genealogies? Why do we go through the table of nations? Why did I just spew out all of this information to you and you guys are like glossy-eyed and like, I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> why are we talking about this? This is crazy. Here's why this is important. Genealogies can confirm biblical truths for us. Genealogies confirm biblical truths. That's our very first point today. Genealogies confirm biblical truths. Genealogies confirm prophecy. Because it says of who Jesus was going to come from, the line of David, right? Now David came from who? Abraham, whose name was turned to Abram. Abram came from Shem. So we can follow this line all the way through and see that the prophecy is true about who Jesus is. The other thing is, uh, note that the writer, I said this already, skips some of the people. Moses wanted to skip some people because he, he didn't know those people quite as well. The sons of Japheth, they went out, they went uh, to a coast, they went all over the place, and so Moses didn't have time to write about them. And there's, here's, here's the other thing, when you bring in genealogies. I don't know if you've read like The Lord of the Rings or uh, any of the C.S. Lewis books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that whole series, the Narnia series. Um, what they don't have a lot of is listing of genealogies, right? Those, those, those fantasy stories, you don't get a whole chapter of just like, and then Legolas decided to have children, and this, are, this is the line of Legolas, and this is the line of, of, of Frodo, and this is the line. We don't have that, right? It's not a thing. That's something that you don't spend a lot of time on if you're writing fantasy. You're not going to write a whole lot of that down. But if you're writing a historical record, if you're writing the book on something, guess what you're going to be doing? You're going to be writing down who you came from, why you came from there, and how we got to where we are today. Genealogies confirm biblical truths. That means that this book can be trusted. 
This book can be trusted. Number two, here's the interesting thing. God sees our details. God sees our details. What we don't see listed here is just a whole bunch of tribes and and just large people groups. And anytime we see genealogies, we can be reminded that God sees our details because they're written down name by name by name. God sees the details of our lives. He talked about the collective nation of Israel, but then he also got specific with different tribes of Israel and the different names of all these different people in the Bible. And all of these very detailed accounts of people in the Bible, God sees our details. So the next time you're starting to wonder if God listens to you, if God hears you, if God sees you, you can read through the genealogies and be confirmed and be comforted in the fact that God sees you. If he sees this line of of, of people that don't make a lot of sense to us, anytime you read through a genealogy, you can see that God sees the details of our lives. God sees the details of our lives. And Matthew chapter 10, this is a comforting verse for many. And I think it's a comforting verse for us. Starting in verse 29, this is Jesus speaking. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than the sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. I don't think I read all that right. Verse 30, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, there you go. All the, the, the hairs on your head are numbered. Well, okay, Red, you don't have much, but they're there. I mean, there's more than you think. So all the hairs on your head are numbers. God sees the details of your life. That should bring us comfort when we're going through a trial, when we're going through something that we don't completely understand and you feel like you're in the valley right now and you don't understand why you're at where you're at. You're going through something that's incredibly difficult for you and it doesn't make any sense to you. You can read this verse and know that God sees the details of your lives. God holds your value of life much higher than that of anything else in the world. In all creation, we are his prized creation. Jesus says two sparrows. You, you could buy two sparrows for, for, for a penny. You can go to the pet store. If there's a pet store in Traverse City, you can go to the pet store right now and buy some birds, and it's not going to cost very much. You can go buy some chickens. I know like little chicks are pretty cheap, right? You can buy little chickens for pretty cheap. God knows the details of the chicken's life. God makes sure that the chicken has lots of feed so that it can poop all over the ground and it smells terrible. So don't get chickens because they're just, they don't smell good. But if you have them, that's cool. Good for you. Good, good job. We'll take your eggs, I guess, right? But God sees the details of even the little chicken's life. He sees the detail of the bird. He makes sure that the bird ha- is able to fly. He makes sure that the bird is taken care of. If you look at, at nature in general, God cares a lot about the details 
And we can go for a walk. I'm sure that's why a lot of us love going for walks. There's that scripture as well that says, hey, if you feel anxious, we've covered it. It was in the Sermon on the Mount. If you feel anxious, if you feel uh, worried about something, just go for a walk. Go look in the meadows. Go look around you and see how beautiful those, those creatures are. Go look at the grass. Go look at the grain and see how well taken care of it is. And know that your God sees and hears you and cherishes you much higher than those. God sees our details. That should comfort us. And when we read the genealogies, we should know, we get to know that God sees the details of our lives. The last thing. Genealogies confirm biblical truths. God sees our details. We can rest on this scripture. We can know that this scripture is true because of the genealogies, because of what God has said to us. And so when we read this Bible, we say, what is this all about? What is the Bible? Why, why even have the Bible? Why, why does it matter? What's the importance to it? Okay, yeah, it's true. It's inspired. Why should I read it? Because it's a story of reconciliation. It's a story of, of restoration in our hearts with the one true God. And what this book points out is that sin divides, Jesus unites. Sin divides and Jesus unites. In chapter 9, we see the division. We've seen division all through the, this book in these, in these chapters up to this point in this series of That Escalated Quickly. We've seen division happen. We saw it in the garden with Adam and Eve. We saw it uh, in the time of, of Noah before the flood, how much division there was and how much uh, debauchery there was. And now after the flood in chapter 9, we see more division and we see the nations spreading apart. Division is something that happens as a result of sin. Ham was divided against his brothers, and they all spread out and did their own thing. And now we can see where all of these different nations come from. And I think if we can get back to this point, the other reason why Genesis 10 is so important is because we see a divided world today, don't we? We see a divided world. We see a divided country. We see a divided church, unfortunately. Because sin is always going to divide. Think about personal relationships. When sin gets in the way of a personal relationship, how quickly does that relationship divide? How quickly does that relationship deteriorate because of sin. Sin continues to divide. You can look all around the world. Let's go bigger now. We, we think that we are against this country or that country or those people don't matter as much or that people group doesn't matter as much. You know what? I don't think that I need to treat black people the way that, that they deserve to be treated because I feel like I'm a little bit better than them. Sin divides us. And the unfortunate thing, guys, is a lot of people have used this book for division. Did you know that Genesis chapter 9 was the basis for a lot of people to get slaves? 
to, to, to take people from Africa, to take African Americans or Africans at the time and become African Americans because of chapter 9? Because people decided they wanted to take that book, they wanted to take that chapter and apply it to their own lives and be like, see, these people from Ethiopia, they're slaves. They belong to us. We're from the line of Japheth, and so we get them as slaves. They tried to make that jump, and it's wrong, and it's sinful, and it's got to stop. Sin divides, but Jesus unites, and that's the only thing that's going to unite us together. That's the only thing that's going to bring us together. We get to go out into the world. We get to go out into the communities around us, wherever we're from, wherever you're watching online, wherever you're at. We get to go out into the world and be uniters, not dividers. As good as we can, as best as we can, we unite people to Jesus Christ. And it's no longer what our church does versus what that church does or, or what this group is doing versus what that group is doing. We are all one under Jesus Christ. Genesis 5, or Genesis 10, sorry, still in, in 10. Verse 5. It says, From these the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and their nations. Verse 20 says, These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Verse 31 says, These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. We are Christians. We've talked about this before, that term Christian. And actually, you can pronounce it Christian. We are Christians. That little I-A-N at the end of it. That means who you belong to. What people you belong to. Who is your, how, how you identify yourself. So a lot of us call ourselves Americans, right? We're Americans because we live in the United States but we have something higher than that. If you follow Jesus Christ here this morning, you are a Christian. And that means every other Christian is a brother and a sister. And we're not divided anymore. We are united as Christians. We are under Christ, every single one of us. If we follow Jesus Christ, if we follow him, if we follow what he's called us to do, then we are Christians. And no matter what church you go to, no matter what demographic you are, no matter what race you are, no matter what gender you are, you are a Christian, and therefore, we are brothers and sisters together. When we are here to unite the world together, under Jesus' name. I think we get so territorial and we lose that. And we start saying, no, I'm of this nation, I'm of this tribe, I'm of this thing. No, you're not. We're Christians. We're Christians. And that leaves no room for excuse to treat anyone other than how Jesus treated those around him. And if you want to read through that, you can. Ephesians 4. I want to read this scripture for you, and I've got one more thing to say. Ephesians 4. But it's going to take a while to say it, so... 
<clears throat> just saying, just being honest with you guys. Ephesians 4, what time is it anyway? Oh yeah, we got time. Uh, nothing a pastor or people ever want to hear is when the pastor looks at his life, we got time, all right, great. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1 says this, I therefore, this is Paul speaking, we're going to learn about Paul in just a second. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Sometimes you've just got to bear with people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sometimes, oh, that person again, okay, fine, I'll bear with you in love. I'm just being transparent, you guys eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Listen to this. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are Christ-ians. The cool thing about this, when we see these genealogies and we see this table of nations, if you look in the book of Acts, starting in chapter 8, It starts with a story uh, a little bit later on. You've got this guy named Philip. And Philip was a, was a disciple. He was, one of the, he, he, was, he was preaching the word. And he was doing a really good job of it. And uh, people were getting saved. He, he was uh, talking to some pretty crazy people that um, believed in a whole lot of weird stuff. And Philip was, was making a difference in Jerusalem. And then God said, hey, Philip, you're going to leave Jerusalem now and you're going to go... Um, wander on this path for a while. And Philip's like, but I've got this great ministry going here. I don't want to, I don't want to go. This is what I'm thinking, what Philip is thinking. You can find this story in Acts chapter 8. Philip is on a path, and he sees somebody coming at him on a, on a chariot, like on a, a buggy, the horse thing, you know, that they would travel on. And they stop the, the caravan over, and there's an Ethiopian eunuch. And he can't understand. He had just come and he, was, he, he went to the temple and he, he had brought a scroll with him. He was pretty high up in the government. He was um, a, a treasurer, basically, and he would take care of all the finances. And this Ethiopian came to Philip and, he, and he's reading from the book of Isaiah and he's got the scroll with him and he's reading from Isaiah and he doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand who this prophet is. And Philip is like, I can interpret that for you. And just then Philip is like, okay, so this is why God called me out of that great ministry I was going into and doing in Jerusalem so that I could talk to this, this uh, Ethiopian guy. And so the Ethiopian hears about the gospel, hears about Jesus and, and sees a lake right nearby or a river and is like, okay, I uh, hear I got to get baptized. Let's go do that. And so Philip goes and baptizes this Ethiopian eunuch in, in the waters right there. And then immediately as he's baptized, Philip gets like flown away, like just kind of like transports, like, like uh, Star Trek, just kind of like just, he's gone all of a sudden. He's like no, nowhere around anymore. He finds himself in a different town, which would be pretty weird if you're Philip. You're like, you're in the water. I wonder if he was still soaking wet when he got to the next town. <laughs> like, wait, this guy just showed up all wet. There's no water around here. This is pretty crazy. 
I don't know, my mind goes there sometimes. And so Philip is just, like, he transports and he goes, and, and, and then the Ethiopian eunuch, he's just like, I don't know what just happened, but I'm going to go back and, and I'm going to share what Jesus has done in my life. And so there's a, there's a life that gets changed immediately right there because Philip was obedient. And I bring that story up because uh, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, guess where he came from? I mean, it's pretty much in his, his title there, Ethiopia. He's a descendant of Ham. Jesus unites. Sin divides, but Jesus unites. What was broken is now being brought back together because of what Jesus has done for us. Do you guys, I mean, this is exciting to me. I get goosebumps just telling the story because here it is, the son of Ham, like from this line, all the way back, all the way, then we get to see what transpires with this Ethiopian eunuch. We don't hear from him again, but man, Jesus is there. Go to the next chapter, chapter 9. You get this guy named Saul. He's a pretty terrible guy. Thinks he's doing the right thing. He's, he's a pretty good Jewish guy. Saul is. Saul of Tarsus, which was one of the names that we read. Or you can look it up in Genesis chapter 10. Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, descendant of Shem. He's a Jewish guy. He's doing the right things according to the Jewish law. He's taking Christians and he's killing them. He was there for Stephen stoning. When Stephen, he was, Stephen was, a, was a disciple and he got stoned because he wouldn't shut up about who Jesus was. He wouldn't shut up. Jesus unites. Sin is trying to divide. Sin is trying to shut up what Jesus has done. Sin is trying to take us all and rip us all apart, but Jesus unites. And so Stephen is talking and he's preaching and people are coming to Jesus. And even as he's being stoned, he's asking them for forgiveness because they don't know what they're doing. Sounds a lot like Jesus, right? Saul was there, and he was all for it. He was all for the stoning of Stephen. And Saul becomes this, this guy who would wrangle up prisoners, uh, Christians, and, and, and imprison them. Well, we know a little bit about Saul's story because we already read some of his words writing to the church in Ephesus. Saul, in chapter 9, encounters Jesus. The Jesus. Jesus comes down with a loud voice and says, Why are you persecuting me? And Saul can't see. He goes blind. And he goes and to a house in, I believe it's Damascus. He goes there. And he has to stay there for a few days. And then he, uh, somebody comes and visits him and tells him all about what Jesus has done. And Saul becomes Paul, one of the greatest apostles, one of the greatest spreaders of the gospel in the history of the world from the line of Shem. Jesus unites. What sin tries to divide, Jesus unites. He conquers. Last but not least, Acts chapter 10. There's a Roman soldier named Cornelius. He's kind of a big deal. Cornelius, Cornelius is a big deal in the Roman guard. But he follows God. He's trying to follow God and do what God, God is calling him to do, but he doesn't quite understand everything yet. And he gets a vision from God saying, go send for a guy named Simon Peter. 
And so we get some guards together, and he goes and, and says to these guards, hey, you guys got to go find this guy named Peter. I don't, I'm just telling you what you got to go do. I don't know why, but go find this guy named Peter. Meanwhile, at the same time, Peter is hungry, and he's a little bit tired. And so it says that he goes into a trance. He falls asleep, basically. And he has this weird dream where all of a sudden there's all of these animals around him, and God says, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know Peter Pants. He's like, he's just so kind of just, he's... We've talked about Pete before. He's kind of bullheaded. He doesn't understand a whole lot. He's kind of just like, ah, thinks, doesn't really think much. He speaks before he talks and all, or he speaks before he talks. He speaks before he thinks, like me. Um, and so old Petey Pants has to hear it three times from God, say, kill and eat. It's okay. Do not call, this is great, do not call common what I have made clean. Oof. Can I say that again? Do not call common what I have made clean. So church, for us today, do not call common what he has made clean. That means how we treat one another. So Peter hears it three times, and he's finally like, okay, I guess I can eat meat now. Because he was still living by Jewish law and saying, I can't do this. In fact, in, in, this, in Acts, Peter kind of gets reprimanded by Paul because he's going down a dual thing. Like he finds his freedom and then he's like, oh, I don't know, I should do Jewish things now. And then Paul's like, why are you doing this? Doing this, this dance of like, be this person to this person, be that person to that person. Just be Peter, unfortunately, be Peter. It works out well for him though. So Peter finally goes and sees Cornelius and he shares the gospel with Cornelius and Cornelius, it says, Cornelius and his entire household is saved. Because Peter was willing to go and do the uncomfortable thing. And eat what he didn't think he was supposed to eat. Because God has made it clean. So Cornelius and his whole family are saved. And Cornelius and his family came from the line of Japheth. The three sons of Noah united under Christ. What sin divides, Christ unites you guys. I hope, that's, that, I hope that blows your mind and I hope that that changes your life, that what sin divides, Christ unites. He did it on the cross for us and that's why Genesis 10 is important. We can see the division but we also see the uniting under Christ. And only Christ can unite. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that we would put down our differences and all the stupid stuff that we do. God, some of it we even do in, in your name and I'm sorry. God, I pray that we would be known by your love. God, we wouldn't be known by a political party or an agenda or a, a, a nation, but God, we would be known as your sons and your daughters, identified with Jesus Christ. 
God, help us to live out this unity, that what sin tries to divide, God, that you would unite. It's in your precious name, the name of Jesus, the uniting name of Jesus that we pray all these things. Amen.